Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. All right, everyone, welcome to episode 58 of the Future Belongs to Creators. We are back. And today we're talking about a step-by-step guide to creating a minimum viable income, specifically starting with where you want to be and working backwards. Barrett has made a spreadsheet. We're going to get into all of that, but a little red, yellow, green to kick things off. Barrett, how are you doing? I am green. I had a relaxing weekend, hung out with my son, did some chores around the house. It's important. Yeah, mostly just kind of took it easy. And I've been trying to rest a lot more on the weekends, especially since there's not really anything to do anyways, <laughs> which has led to better Mondays, especially if I get to bed early enough on Sunday night. And so I, I got some decently, not great sleep. My kid still wakes up at like 5.30 in the morning, which is normal, but whoo, yeah. Started the week by writing and I'm feeling good. I'm excited about walking you through a spreadsheet. It's not the greatest spreadsheet in the world, but I do love thinking in spreadsheets. So on that note, I'm going to turn it over to happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Nathan Berry. Happy birthday to you. This is your Uh birthday song. It doesn't last that long. Oh, man. Oh, man. Thank you, Barrett. That's so uh, you're welcome. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm good. Probably green, maybe a hint of yellow. It's pouring rain here today. Oh. You know, I, I don't know what is with this. I was going to say spring. It is officially summer now. It should be sunny and warm and all of that. It's not. Let's see. I also had epic plans for my birthday that totally got canceled. <laughs> so... Um, we were going to go to a friend's lake cabin, friend's parents' lake cabin up in Northern Idaho. And we obviously, you know, we're not going to fly commercially in this time with a whole bunch of people. And, and it's, it would have been a really long drive. And so I was like, okay, it's my 30th birthday. We're going to splurge. And so we chartered a flight up there, which would have been about double what it cost uh, each person individually. So it was more expensive, but not insane. And so we had this whole thing planned. And then two hours before we were supposed to leave on the flight, we get a text message that, the high school kid who helps out around our farm and we've had him through, you know, working for the last couple of months as the pandemic or last maybe month and a half as the pandemic has, you know, gotten better case counts has gone down. Anyway, he's like, Hey, my brother just tested positive for COVID and I've been hanging with my brother. And I was thinking like, okay, we were just outside. So that's probably fine. And then I was thinking like, now he and Hillary had been working a bunch in the garden and like sharing tools this week. And I was just like, shoot, no, we can't, we can't do that. So I was like calling the charter company with an hour and a half to go and be like, hey, can we postpone? And they were super cool about it. And they were like, hey, thanks for giving us a heads up. Thanks for being responsible. Like, so we're going to do birthday trip some other time, maybe in a couple of weeks, maybe next year. So, but anyway, it's been good hanging out, getting work done. It's the end of the quarter around here. It's the end of the quarter everywhere, but it is. I convert it that matters because we always try to push to hit our goals. So, that was long, but that's how I'm doing. And uh, thank you for everyone in the chat. Teddy, Emily, Noah, Chris, everybody for the birthday wishes. It's good to hang out with you all. Well, I just want you to know that I bet, I bet like for part of the day, you were like, man, 
Baron hasn't said happy birthday to me. Like he doesn't even know or care about me. <laughs> I mean, I'm 30, like it's my big day. And I just want you to know that I saved it for that <laughs> moment. And I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> oh man uh, well I appreciate it and uh, I can tell that you're very proud of yourself uh-huh. <laughs> yeah I was thinking and then I promise we'll get into talking about our our actual topic but you posted a photo of your son Ev in our Slack channel earlier and just made me think like well you moved into a new house in January mm-hmm. and normally by this time of year we would have hung out a bunch several times it, yes yeah I just saw the the photo and I was like, you know, you're like your living room is in the background and everything. I was like, oh man, I want to hang out with Barrett in that living room with that kid. Yeah. So hopefully sometime soon. But uh, anyway, I appreciate you bringing the energy on, even though it's just on a Zoom call. I almost wore like a hat and party glasses and stuff. But anyways, that's for another day. Oh game. man. Okay. For today's topic, we were we were talking. It's like, all right, you know, we went to twice weekly, really just one one major topic a week. And the intention behind that was to have some deeper dive episodes where we could like prepare a little bit more. I won't claim that we prepared weeks in advance for this one. However, I have been trying to think about um, kind of deeper dive topics, case studies, things like that, that we can really get into. And we talk a lot about things like minimum viable income, conversion rates and other things like that, but it's usually just in passing. We'll like mention it when we're talking about another topic. So today, what I thought we could do is start with an income number. That would be like what the entrepreneur, what the creator takes home from their business and then back up all the way to viewers per post or episode published, viewers, readers, whatever, listeners, and just show you some math so that Maybe if you're just getting started, or maybe if you're in the middle of your business and you just haven't done this kind of math before, you can see what it looks like to back your way into what kind of habits you need to build in your business in order to earn the kind of income you want to earn. There's all these studies. I don't know how they got to the the final data, but the studies basically say that while your possessions and things like that might grow when you grow your income beyond $70,000 a year, your level of happiness does not. And so there's like this minimum viable income for happiness level that is $70,000 a year. And above that, it's nice and there are nice to have things, but really you're talking about, you know, the privileges of life versus do you as a psychological being feel better about it? So we're going to start with a minimum viable income of $70,000 today coming from your business. Just to equate that to what that looks like monthly, it's about $5,800 a month. And we're not going to get into taxes and all things like that. That would be useful. And maybe we'll do an episode on thinking through not how to do your taxes because that we are not qualified for, but thinking about your income related to taxes in your business. And the the whole business side of it. Yeah. That That would be good for a future episode. So for this, you're looking at 70K as basically the equivalent as if you made that in a salary from a job. Like how do you get to the same number? Exactly. So maybe af- are you are you thinking after basic business expenses but you haven't yet taken out taxes exactly. or any of that? Exactly. Yep. So I'm going to share my spreadsheet on the screen. Uh, if you're listening by audio, we're going to try and walk you through this in a way that will make sense on audio. And then if you want to come back and watch the YouTube version later, this stuff will be on the screen the whole time so that 
you can take a look at it. But as you can see, I've started here with the $70,000 income and I worked backwards. Normally you would work down a spreadsheet. We started at the bottom and worked up. You might even say we started from the bottom and now we're here or we will be oh here. <laughs> oh man. If you don't get that reference, then uh, oh. go browse Spotify until you do. Yes. Okay. So to your point on expenses, this would be totally variable. And maybe we'll just share this template or something afterwards so that you can edit it for some of your real numbers. But I said on $70,000 a year income, you should be able to run your business for $30,000 or less a month. And so I think about that as something like, I don't know, $1,000 a month for an assistant. You've got your website hosting. You've got ConvertKit or another email tool, but probably ConvertKit. You've got your e-commerce software, which soon can be ConvertKit as well. You know, whatever your typical business expenses are would be included here. And I think this is a pretty conservative estimate for this level of business. I think you should be able to run a creative business on that amount of expenses a month for the most part. So if you back that out, then your total revenue, revenue just means all the dollars that your business earns, would be about $100,000 a year minus your $30,000 of expenses gives you that net income of $70,000. So you can see that broken down throughout the monthly calculations here too, if that's helpful to you. $100,000 a year, a six-figure business. Sometimes you hear that term. And it's a big milestone. Yes, it is a big milestone. The other thing I want to say about this though is we have a decent number of peers in the software space as well as our friends and peers in the, in the creator space. And something that I want to highlight about the six-figure business thing is it is a massive milestone. And six figures of a business, seven figures of a business often does not mean what you think it means. And the reason why is that it doesn't highlight expenses. If you take just one thing away from this podcast, it would be thinking about your business in terms of the bottom line. So I don't, Nathan, I don't know if you have experience with this because I think we both tend to be pretty specific about what we're trying to actually earn. But do you have any experiences either working with or having friends who have thought in terms of top line instead of bottom line? Yeah, I think the place that I see this the most is when people start talking about launches. There's this tendency where someone's like, oh, I did a six-figure launch or a seven-figure launch. And, and you'll see that, especially as you hang out on the fringe of like this internet marketer space. If anyone's done that, um, I'm sorry, but that part of the internet exists. And you'll hear people saying like, oh, I did a seven figure launch or something. But if you dive in, what you'll often find is what they took home is maybe really quite small because they might be paying out a 50% affiliate commission or sometimes even higher, right? If it's a very affiliate heavy launch, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a 60 or 70% affiliate commission in some of these products. And so then you're like, okay, so say we did a Let's just go with 50%. So you do a $100,000 launch over the course of a week. 50% of that right away is just going up to affiliates. And then you're looking at credit card processing fees as well. And that, you know, that'd be split. So, you know, there, there's three and a half percent. So now we're, now we're down to, you know, roughly $45,000. And you just, you're chipping away at it like that. And then, okay, we hired a graphic designer to build it out. We paid our marketing costs, you know, all of these other things. And it works down. And then... I'm trying to think what other expenses would be in there, but you've got all your software and everything else. But I would say it's really common if you hear someone talk about, I launched this product and I, I made $100,000 from it, that they took home maybe twenty five to 40000 somewhere in there. If I were making assumptions, that's what I would assume if it was an affiliate launch. And, and like uh, team costs would be another really big thing in there. 
Now, there are plenty of people who are doing things as a solo business or them and an assistant or a VA or something like that. And they drove all that traffic themselves. Yeah. Ads would be another thing. All that retargeting, all, you know, it's so important. It drives sales and it's profitable, but it's expensive. You know, so you do end up with people who ran a launch with, you know, 90% margins. But I would just say, you know, be skeptical when you hear those numbers. Or it's not even be skeptical. It's just know the, the full picture of running a business. Yeah. It would be like if someone said, oh, Convert is doing $20 million a year. So what, you guys take home, I don't know, $18 million? Yeah, $5 million a piece at least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the reality is just so, so far from that. You know, Convert is a very profitable, successful business. And, you know, we run between... 10 and 20% profit margins, depending on the month and how aggressive we're spending and, and all of that. So it's just important to keep in mind. Yep. I wanted to highlight that because we're really talking about kind of a lean business here. We're talking about a business where you haven't expanded into ads. You don't have a big affiliate network. It's really like you and maybe an assistant as a solo creator. And, and you're, it's kind of like organic. You're not paying in order to get the sales that you're getting in this business that we're talking about. And I just want to highlight that because if you were going to use affiliates or you were going to use ad spend, you would need to change your expenses here to make sure that you were planning to earn enough top line revenue. Okay. So the next thing we did, a lot of businesses, they have more than one product, product portfolio. And a product portfolio is another thing. I'm going to bookmark that. That is another thing we should come back to at a future date to do an episode on, but think of it like this. There are different segments of people in your audience Different segments want to buy different things because they have different problems or different needs related to whatever your topic or your business is. So you might think of it like uh, if you're teaching fly fishing, there are people who have never fly fished before and they just need like the basics. And then there are your experts who want to get back in the backcountry and find like the hidden stream with the perfect fish and everything. And they will pay you for different stuff. And so your products, ideally, as you break them down, will cater to different segments of your audience. Nathan, I think you did a good job of this, where originally you catered to mobile apps and web apps and, you know, whatever other things that you did at the time. But different people bought those things. Sometimes there was overlap, but they serve different needs. So in this case, we're going to say you have an entry-level product at $29 a month. And uh, we'll call it a mid-range product because really high range is like thousands of dollars. So mid-range product of about $149 per sale. And yeah. And so just to be clear on, the, on both of those, you're going per sale pricing. So this is not recurring revenue. This is one-time revenue. But because we have an audience that's continually growing, people are coming in and people are leaving. But you know, we're predicting to be able to make this number of sales every year. Yep. Every year. That's right. So- um, I did a rough breakdown and I said maybe about 65% of people buy the lower priced one of all your purchases and about 35% buy the higher priced one. That's going to be a ballpark. You're going to have to see your baselines in your business, but I think it's pretty decent in terms of assumptions. Now, here's what's interesting, right? We ended up with about 63% of total purchases going to the lower price and about 36% in this specific model after setting those benchmarks. 75% of revenue comes from that $149 product, even though only 36% of buyers chose that one. So you have 503 total purchases of this $149 product across a year that generates 75% of your revenue compared to 862 purchases of the $29 product generating just $25,000 a year in revenue. Nathan, I know you have a whole like uh, diatribe you could go on related to pricing, but just talk for a minute about 
how and why this highlights the importance of pricing. Yeah. So this is something that people are always surprised by, right? Because they're thinking like, oh, if I have product A and product B and, you know, they should make equal amounts of money. And that's almost never the case. Or you do something where it's like, okay, if I have product A and then product B and product B is twice the price of product A, then actually at this point, people are like, wait, what will happen? I don't know. Is it going to make half the sales at twice the price and make the same amount of money or, or what? And this example that you have listed out there is basically what I see almost every time where the higher price product makes a lot less uh, total sales. Like, you know, in this case, uh, you've got only 36% of the sales. I think that's pretty accurate. If you were to go to three products, you know, then the top product is going to dip as a percentage of sales even more. But then you're like, oh, you got $29 and you got $149. And actually, when I first looked at the, looked at the spreadsheet, even though I knew the math, I was like, yeah, you know, you got one product and you got another one that's a couple times as expensive, you know? And it's actually a lot more than a couple. It's five times as expensive. But people don't tend to think in those terms. And so then they realize, oh, this higher price product, of course it made significantly more money when you actually break down. And that's what I've seen in business after business, that the higher price product brings in so much more revenue than the lower price product. Yeah. Not that you should only have that, but that it makes a really big difference. Yep. Totally. All right. So you've got these two products. You've got an entry level product at 29 bucks, a higher price product at 149. You need to make a total of 1,365 sales throughout the year, which per month, if we want to have like a steady business coming in, you know, without big fluctuations would be about 114 sales a month. Now, if you don't like thinking in those terms and you'd rather do a big launch and sell it all at once, that works too. You could make this living maybe in two launches or something throughout the year if you wanted to. I like to think in terms of consistent effort because I find it easier to maintain habits than have these big pushes and then letdowns and big pushes. So to get 114 sales a month, what needs to happen? Well, I'm going to work backwards through what would typically be a conversion funnel, basically going up the funnel, starting with emails all the way up to how many videos or blog posts would you have to put out? So let's say that of the people who open your emails, so this isn't important, right? Only the people who open your emails can buy your products. Only the people who open your emails can buy your products. I guess maybe if they just visited your site directly from social media or something, they might. But if we're talking specifically email, they've got to open it before they can click on the link before they can buy it. So I said here that 15% of people who open will buy. I think you could get that north of that. You might even be able to get closer to 30 or 40% if you have a really targeted launch that's very specific to your email subscribers or if you do a recurring sequence that hit them, hits them at the perfect point in their customer journey. But I, I felt like 15% was conservative and maybe accurate for just kind of getting started. So if you want to make 1,365 sales throughout the year, which gets us to our income number, you need 9,100 email opens, right? And if you look at that monthly, you need about 758 email opens. We'll just call it 750 email opens every month, 760 to get there throughout the year. And let's say your open rate is about 32%. I pick 32% for a very specific reason. Every month, every month we publish a deliverability report at ConvertKit. We have a team called Compliance, Billing, and Deliverability, and they handle everything spam and fraud prevention. They handle email deliverability. They do consultations with customers to make sure that your delivery and open rates are high. 
And in our report last month, and this has been pretty consistent for a while, we had a 32% global open rate on the ConvertKit platform. So, you know, maybe your marketers who like buy email lists or things like that, we got into that a little bit on Friday. You might see open rates in the like single digits, eight, 10%, maybe, or even lower. So 32% across the platform sending over a billion emails a month is pretty incredible. So we felt like that was pretty fair here to pick uh, an open rate that's consistent with the platform. What drives open rates, Nathan? The biggest thing is the relationship that you have with the reader, right? Everyone is getting into, okay, if I put an emoji in my subject line, will the open rate go up? If I have one weird trick to, I don't know what, <laughs> you know, something like that, right? Then the... Um, the open rates are going to go up. And so they're trying to optimize, how can I get the highest open rate on this one email? And actually the people who get the best open rates are the ones who say, how can I deliver the most value over the long-term in this relationship? And so how can I write the best content, give away the best resources and tell the best stories? And so those are the things where you have to realize, you have to change that mindset. Open rate is not a short-term metric. It is a long-term metric and you should say, how should I optimize for this over the next 12 months? And then really what it comes back to is produce the highest quality content and get the right people on the list. So don't worry about getting the most people on the list. Focus on getting the people who you know, are going to be the most engaged, who are the right fit and who love the kind of content that you want to put out. You know, Seth Godin always says, will they miss you when you're gone? Or if you didn't show up tomorrow, would they miss you? And I think the best tactic I have for getting people to open your emails is not to write a good subject line. It's for them to trust you so much that they are excited that your email is about to arrive because Tuesdays is when you send emails and they know Tuesdays is when you send emails and they're waiting for your email before it even hits their inbox because I have news for you. It doesn't fucking matter what the subject line is if they're waiting on it already. That's the truth. But for people who aren't waiting for it, that's when you have to start trying to trick them into opening it so that they'll engage. So both work. I mean, certainly writing headlines is a valuable skill. Writing subject lines is a valuable skill. And if you focus on building that relationship and trust, people will want to open it regardless of what the headline says, because they know that you're interesting and you provide value. So just give a quick example of that. When I was getting started in this whole world, I followed Chris Gillibo really a lot. And he published every Monday and Thursday. I think he, I mean, I know he had an email list. For whatever reason, I wasn't on it. And I knew that he published every Monday and Thursday at, I think, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And I would go check his site at that time. Like I would actually, I was so eager to read whatever he was putting out on how to grow your audience or, you know, how to earn a living as an indie creator that I was just like going and checking at that time. And so with his blog post titles, whatever, it didn't matter, right? What mattered is that he was delivering fantastic content every week or twice a week at the same time. And I was super eager to that. Um, so, if, you know, assuming he had more readers like me, you know, we represented the group that, you know, opened 100% of his emails, you know? So if someone was like, oh, you couldn't possibly have an open rate above 50% or something like that, it's like, actually you could if you just focus on, on the true fans. Yeah. And just even seeing this average open rate on our platform, it means there's a lot in average by nature. It means there's a lot of people above that. There's just as many people above it as there are below. So we know that you can go a lot higher than this if you have a highly engaged audience. Okay. So here's what I'm doing here. 
For a total opens, which gets you to a total number of purchases using these conversion rates, you have to have email subscribers in the neighborhood of 30,000, basically. We're going to round to 30,000. You can see the specific number in the spreadsheet. But if 32% of people open your emails and you need about 9,000 of them to open in order for 15% of them to buy, well, you need about 30,000 email subscribers. Let's just stop for a minute because I realized I could just blow past that a and a lot of people would be like, oh my God, no, no. Well, it is a lot. And we know based on our platform, there aren't a ton of customers by percentage who use our platform who have more than that. So I want to talk about a couple of things here. First of all, this is a simplistic model. It's just meant to teach concepts. Secondly, if we broke it down by month, which is a little deceiving, so don't take this on face value, but you were only trying to do this monthly, you would only need about 2,500 email subscribers. Now here's where that breaks, right? You have to have enough stuff that people can buy things from you more than once. You have to have enough products where they can buy from you more than once. But if you have a good product portfolio where the same person can buy from you multiple times during the year, then you can reduce to a much smaller number of email subscribers. And so, you know, it goes back and forth. If you have one product, you're going to need more email subscribers because the same people are not going to buy from you over and over. If you have a recurring subscription product or people can buy more than one thing from you, well, you can really lower that number down, right? To get the number of purchases that you're looking for. And so this is where, like you were saying earlier, Nathan, if you have some kind of subscription product, that can be a really valuable way to build a much more sustainable business that doesn't rely on these big pushes and or big audiences and then come back down and earn nothing for a while and back and forth. Yep. So the way that I would think about this is you need 2,371 people every month who are eligible to be pitched your product. So it's not necessarily that number times 12 to get to the 28,000. It's really that they need to have not yet purchased it, assuming like most products, it's something that you buy once and you're done with, or you buy once and you wouldn't purchase on repeat. Or, you know, maybe they were pitched it last time. Maybe they were in that 68% that didn't open at previous time that you pitched it. And they, they can, you know, now be in this other category. Or maybe they opened, but then they didn't actually buy and so if you go to that to that number, then you're going to end up actually with a quite a bit smaller group of people rather than needing the full 28 or 30,000. That's right. And so there's a lot of different ways to do this, right? One way would be to say, okay, well, if I burned through my whole existing audience, which you almost never have, that's one thing you have to realize is even if you've launched a product before, someone who didn't buy that time might buy next time because maybe it's the right timing for them. And this is where for a later date, getting into automated email sequences that are based on what your customers want and what they're telling you about who they are can be way more powerful than just email blast, email blast, email blast. But again, we're trying to keep it simple here. So let's say what you were trying to do here is to add this many new email subscribers per month, right? Because that creates new audience for you. And that's possible. It's a lot, but it's certainly possible. We see people add this and many more than this subscribers every month. If you converted site traffic to email subscriber at about a 3% rate, which is okay. It's not amazing. It's not bad. I've seen some people go as low as 1% is kind of what they're hoping for, but 3% is pretty decent. You would need just under 80,000 people a month coming to your website in terms of unique users. Because again, you know, you can measure total traffic all you want, but you have to have an individual follow this path. So I like to measure my traffic in unique users. 
because that's the total number of people who can or are eligible to become email subscribers. So site traffic of about 80,000 a month. I'm just going to run through the rest of this, Nathan, and then we can talk through kind of how you get this kind of traffic. Sounds good. I then assumed, let's say you publish twice a week. This could be blog posts. This could be YouTube videos. It could be podcast episodes. Whatever it is that you make, you put it out there twice a month and, or twice a week, sorry, which gives you a little over 100 published pieces per year. That habit, we're going to come back to it, but that habit might be the single most important crux to this whole thing, right? How much traffic do you need per post to get what we're talking about here? Well, we're showing for the total year, you need about 9,000 views, listens, whatever. In podcasts, it would be downloads. On YouTube, it would be views. On your website, it would be reads of your article. Or on Medium, it would be reads of your article or traffic to that article. 9,000 people per article. Now, again, that sounds like a lot, but we're talking about a mature business here. I mean, this business would be sustainable for a long, you could run this forever. So it might take you five years to get here to this point, but 9,000 people trafficking to a blog post or watching a YouTube video, that's pretty reasonable, I think, for a sustainable business where you know your topic, you're publishing regularly. That's on your site, remember. So this, this is people on your site. You put your video on your site and this many people come there because usually only on your site will people then become email subscribers. There are some exceptions to that. So let's say um, you also publish elsewhere. You publish out on YouTube or you publish out in the podcast store or whatever. And let's say 40% of people who watch on YouTube or listen in the podcast app, that's how many people end up going to your site to check out a thing. Or maybe how many people go to your landing page, for example, from the podcast to get a thing that you're giving away. Well, you're going to need quite a few more kind of like raw downloads or raw native views on whatever platform you're publishing on. In this case, about 22,000 to get to that traffic to your site that you're looking for in order to get the email subscribers you're looking for. The one thing I do want to say about that is if you can efficiently send YouTube viewers, for example, to a landing page, you can get conversion rates as high as 40% sometimes on that. Yeah. Um, so the math can change a little bit. Remember that the math is going to be specific to your business. I'm just trying to show you a model, not the model. What I like about this is by working backwards from starting with the end in mind, you could say today, okay, my goal is to get to the point, number one, where I built a habit where I'm publishing twice weekly, and number two, where every one of those things I'm publishing, let's say on YouTube as a YouTuber, is getting 22,000 views, okay? That is my goal right now. 104 posts this year, 104 videos this year, rather, 22,000 views per video. That is a very tangible thing to work towards that can then lead you down this funnel that gets you to the money that you're looking for. Yeah. So first, I love this. And I love that you're pointing out that this is a model. It doesn't have to be the model or how it has to work. But this is how you and I think. This is how actually pretty much all of the successful creators that we know think. They've got spreadsheets mapping out, okay, where is the traffic coming from? I'm trying to think, not, not to pick on uh, our friend John Schultz too much, but so he runs this site with his wife, Dana, called Minimalist Baker. And John is like the behind the scenes master of it all, you know, and, and Dana does all the real work of producing the content. <laughs> and uh, John, you know, he's the kind of person, right, where they've got a ton of traffic and he's optimizing, okay, this traffic coming in through here, how do I get the conversion rate up on this? And he's tracking all of those kind of details because he's looking at, to get these averages, he's realizing there's going to be some posts that convert to email subscribers really poorly. But if I can have this other one that converts really well, and if I can do an opt-in specific for that, 
right? This is the kind of thing exactly that you're looking at. And so we don't want to overcomplicate this because you can totally, you know, you could launch a product and you don't have to have this, but it's when you realize, okay, this is now my map of the full system and I can pick different parts of it that I'm going to work on and optimize. And it can turn into a lot of great results. Melanie just asked, will you be providing the spreadsheet? Totally. We'll maybe clean it up a little bit and link to a shared version and drop that in the chat and in the show notes. Okay. So I want to highlight the point you just made. This is what's fun about spreadsheets. Okay. So let's say that you do focus on conversion rate on your site and you're able to go from three to 5%. Well, what does that do? It doesn't quite have, probably dropped the traffic needed by 35%. And you went from 22,000 people needing to download your podcast episodes to 13,000 just by going from three to 5% site conversion. Okay. Now let's go back. Let's change it again further down the funnel. Let's say instead of 15% of people who open my email, I can convert 25% of them. So one in four people who open my emails end up buying something from me. So you go from 9,100 people needing to open your emails to 5,400. So you have levers. Every one of these percentages is a lever. Okay. You have a lever here on number of people that go from YouTube to your website. You have a lever here on number of people who visit your website that become email subscribers. You have a lever here on number of people who open your emails. And you have a lever here on number of people who open your emails that buy your stuff. What's beautiful about this is that you can optimize every part of it. You could say, let's get to 25% of people who open our emails buying something. Let's get to 40% of people who get our emails opening them. Let's go to 5% of people who visit our site becoming an email subscriber and more and more and more. And now you've dropped these numbers down to something that's incredibly manageable. But the most important thing in all of this is you can't do any of it unless you're publishing content consistently. And it doesn't matter what your content is. It could be music, it could be blog posts or essays, it could be political commentary, it could be woodworking YouTube videos, it could be anything. So anyways, it gives you all of these points of leverage that you'll be able to check out in the spreadsheet and play with you or play with in your business. So Noah asks, uncertainty is higher up the funnel, right? In terms of how much it can contributes to income. Let's see, it really depends. One thing I wanna highlight is that up here, you have way more people. And so the, the more you can pull on one of these levers, the more people get entered into everything. So- If I were diagnosing my business and I did all this math and I'm going to back out some of those changes I just did to be more like the original. If I'm diagnosing my issues and I've done this spreadsheet and I see I need 22,000 views per episode that I'm publishing or downloads, well, we could go and we could look at our episodes right now and we'd say, well, we've only got 3,000 downloads per episode. I don't know what our actual downloads are on this show, but let's say we only have 3,000. Well, Either I can focus focus on getting more attention up here to try and fulfill this part of the spreadsheet, or I can move further down the funnel and try and fix stuff down here so that I need fewer downloads per episode. And so the question then becomes, well, which one seems more likely that I can actually achieve that? And in our case, for this podcast, if that's what we were trying to do, I think our leverage would be on creating more attention on the podcast than changing stuff further down the funnel right now because we know that we have way more potential reach than that. So Noah, to answer your question, I think the answer is it depends on your business and how much leverage you have at each point of your funnel. So what I love about this and the levers example is that 
you know, I imagine like sitting at a control station or something. And instead of every possible thing imaginable or like just this unknown of like, I don't have any control. Instead, you're like, okay, I actually have like 10 specific things that I control. And they're like levers or buttons that are in front of you. And you're not going to mess with all of them, but you can look at it and say, okay, you know what? This month or this week, this is the lever that I'm going to work on. I'm going to try to move the needle there. And there's a lot that's to, that can go into that. So like another one that's available is let's say we have this clarity, right? Of, okay, we're trying to achieve $100,000. Or really, we're trying to achieve $70,000 of net income. And so we believe, you know, at a 70% profit margin, you know, we're going to need to be at $100,000. So there's even a lever there. We could be like, okay, could I trim some more expenses? Let's say I can only get that total income up to $90,000. And I'm like, oh, it's not quite there. Okay, could I run my business on $20,000 a year instead of $30,000 a year? And if so, okay. I'm, I'm there at my number. One thing that you'll find, and this is advice that I heard early on and I was like, that's nonsense, you know, like, or easy for you to say is how I reacted to it. But now I think differently. And that is that it is easier to earn more than it is to cut expenses and save your way into that level of income. When I first heard that I was making no money or maybe like $50 a month for my various side hustles. And so I was like, oh, that's easy for you to say, like, hey, you're successful and all of this stuff. And now I'm like, oh, it's 100% true. And so that's where I would say, you know, know all the levers, but always be trying to increase rather than cut or save your way into better financials. I love that. Okay, well, that is the spreadsheet we had for you. Yeah, um, I have a few more thoughts. So Love it, keep going. Let's say you run through that whole spreadsheet and you're like, or you run through an example of it and maybe you've got three months of revenue or actually, you know, we're about at July 1st, right? So we have six months of data and we're like, okay, I'm not going to make it there. In order to get to my $70,000 income, I would have to double traffic over the next six months. And while we love ambitious goals, that might be, that might be pushing it. That might be too hard to do, you know, or I would have to increase this conversion rate, like, right? You can map out what would have to be true in order for me to hit my 2020 income goals? And that might be within reach or it might be quite a stretch where you're like, look, a lot has to change. So something that I would look into, a couple different options. The first is I would look at, and we brought it up earlier, I'd look at raising your prices. I don't believe necessarily that everyone should raise their prices. I'm not gonna give that as blanket advice, but look at it. Maybe ask a couple trusted friends who are further along this journey from you. Should I charge more for this? Should I bump this up? So that'd be the first thing, right? If you could go from 29 to 49, from uh, 149 to 199, you know, what impact would that have? And Barrett, you just changed the spreadsheet and the number of sales that we have to make dropped pretty significantly. The next thing that I would look at is, could I add a second package to one of these products where maybe people are buying it right now for 29? Is there a version of that product that someone would be willing to pay 79 for? Uh, right? Could I add that in? The next one would be, could I add another product that I could sell to the same people? So it's not a replacement for these. It's further down the funnel of what people might buy, like a masterclass where, you know, it's just for your top 20 most engaged people and it's $500 per person and it's a two-day online class. And there you've added thousands of dollars in revenue. Uh, it might be coaching where you're just taking on five people, $1,000 a month, a $500 a month um, retainer, and you're just working with them. Could be a bunch of different things, but those are basically what I'd look at is first, see if you could raise your prices. Second, see if you could add premium packages to any product. 
And then third would be adding another product, specifically a higher end product or one that might not require like three months to write and film a course and might actually capitalize on all the goodwill and everything that you've already built. Love it. Great points. Great points. So the spreadsheet will give you a starting point. I dropped the link in the chat. We'll have it in the show notes for you. I would definitely suggest put in real numbers, you know, put in the income you're trying to make, put in your real expenses, pay attention to the formulas. You can always refer back to the original one if you just want to check out the formulas, if you break it or whatever. But this should be a useful tool to at least have a basic understanding of the inputs to your business so that you can see where are the levers for me and which ones do I want to pull to continue growing my income. Creator of the day. Okay, my creator of the day is actually a friend here in Boise. Her name is Amanda Antella, and she's a graphic designer, photographer, all of that. Um, this is her Etsy store, and I'm going to drop that in the chat. If you guys would be awesome and go buy some stuff from her, that would be awesome. Uh, she's you know one of these photographers and people working in real life where it's like all the shows that she did, all the shoots she did got canceled. Um, she just does fantastic stuff. I love all of her prints and everything. She's also a great photographer and it's fun to follow her on Instagram and all that. I'll drop her links. But our coworker Elizabeth has a tiny house and Amanda just shot it and just did just these beautiful photos of it before it goes on Airbnb. And uh, I was just thinking about her today because she's just such a talented, well-rounded creator. Like, oh, graphic design, sure, no problem. You know, digital art, yep, of course. You know, amazing photography, either portraits or anything else, like easy. And so I'm so impressed with her. And uh, yeah, her site is Hello Cherie. And I'll drop all those links. Love it. I am going to highlight today, I realize we have not highlighted him before, even though we have talked about him before. David Perel. Perel? Perel. I always say Perel. David is relatively early in his creator journey, surprisingly, for the amount of reach that he has. 90,000 followers on Twitter and a decent sized audience learning from him about writing. And I highlight him on Twitter because I actually think some of his best stuff is on Twitter. He does a bunch of great writing off the platform and he has some really good courses on writing as well, resources for that. But I love following him on Twitter for his insight. He talks a lot about the process of writing and creating. And uh, if you are a writer, he would be someone worth following, I think. Yeah, his stuff is great. I was actually just uh, DMing with him on Twitter this morning. So just talking about different ConvertKit features and all that because he's been growing his email list super fast on the platform. Nice. My resource of the day, I'm going to go with a book that I'm like two thirds of the way done with. See, I don't have to finish a book before I recommend it, right? It's, it's not <laughs> a thing. You're like, maybe you should. Hey, I'm well over halfway. Uh, and it's Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Um, if you've read some of her other stuff, there's probably not going to be anything like brand new in it, but I just love more examples and and stories and you know, all of those lessons put in a new format. And this is very much in like a, a business, um, interpersonal at work, team leadership kind of uh, format. So Dare to Lead is really good. Uh, definitely check it out. Love it. My resource of the day, I'm just going to keep hitting y'all with educational resources for the times that we live in because I think it's important. The hate you give, moving, moving, moving movie film, I, it's definitely worthy of the term film. Like leave some time before bed after this one, because you'll be thinking a lot about the state of society. I won't say much more than that. Um, really powerful movie about the after effects of the death of a young black man. And um, man, the acting was great. The story was great. It was shot in Atlanta where I grew up, which um, obviously is kind of fun. So anyways, 
well worth watching if you haven't seen it yet. There's also a book by the same name if you prefer reading, which I hear is also great, although I have not read it myself. Sounds good. Okay, thought of the day is income is an output of a lot of different factors. And if you start thinking about your business in terms of the income you want, I think it will become much easier to focus on specific levers you can pull to make that income happen. But first, you have to start with the outcome in mind that you want, which is how much money you want to take home and work backwards from there. So I hope you'll hop into that spreadsheet and customize it to your business so that you can maybe make some progress that direction. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll see you on Friday. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Thank you.